What's up, folks? Welcome to another edition of Matt Sports House. I am your host, Matthew Anderson. Before we get too much into things, make sure you comment, subscribe, like, rate the podcast, especially Apple Podcasts, because at least we can read those ratings out. I'd really appreciate it. Obviously, all feedback is welcome. Uh, but yeah, without further ado, let's go ahead and get right into it. The C is for the courage I possess through the drama. H is for the hurt, but it's all for the honor. A is for my attitude, working through the patience. Money comes and goes, so the M is for motivation. Gotta stay consistent, the P is to persevere. The I is for integrity, innovative career. The O is optimistic, open and never shut. And the N is necessary, cause I'm never giving up. See, they asked me how I did it, I just did it from the heart. Crushing the competition, been doing it from the start. They say that every champion is all about his principles. All right, y'all. So, every pretty much every episode, I start off by saying we got a lot to talk about. As a matter of fact, a lot of times that is the title. And part of the method to the madness is interesting titles because we're obviously always trying to get more people to listen. But this episode is absolutely no different than the rest because not only do we have our normal amount of football, college football, et cetera, et cetera, the SEC is back. And then real quick, we're going to go ahead on this NBA real quick. Uh, the Miami Heat will be playing the Los Angeles Lakers. I'm going with the Lakers. I think the Heat might get a game or two, maybe two at the max. Maybe Jimmy Butler can get them going. They could take it to seven, but do not bet any money on the Heat. The Lakers will win this series. The Lakers and all their big name talents, and they will keep this thing moving. Also to stay in LA, the Los Angeles Clippers did fire the Doc Rivers as their head coach. So they will be on the prowl. They're looking to go find their next guy. They're trying to win. They did not find it acceptable to be up 2-0 and to lose to those Nuggets with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, so they made whatever they thought was the best move. So we obviously disappointed in that, but we do look forward to seeing who their new head coach will be. But anyway, we're going to go ahead and start to what matters, SEC football. We're going to start locally here at the University of South Carolina, who in fact lost in the most South Carolina fashion possible in the home opener against the Tennessee Volunteers with the final score of 31-27. To start the game, Colin Hill led Carolina down on the opening drive into the end zone. I think a lot of people are like, okay, this new this is the new Bobo Wilson offense. This is how it's going to work. And actually, it was a while before they scored again. One thing I noticed right off the bat, though, was that Tennessee, for them, for that, for Tennessee to not have been able to practice quite as much as most other teams due to COVID tracing, things that other things had to do with COVID-19, they just weren't able to get quite as many practices in. But anyway, they were kind of sharp from what I from what I noticed. Their offensive defense looked as good as I think they could have potentially done with the situation that they did have and they come into with the whole COVID-19 situation. And it just seems like they were very well prepared. And I think that speaks a lot to the coach, coaching staff, Jeremy Pruitt and company. They just had their guys ready to play. I thought that while USC's defensive line did make some plays, names come off right off the top of my head is Aaron Sterling and Zach Pickens. Those guys were all over the place. Saw Ernest Jones everywhere, although he's a linebacker. But I did think that that Tennessee offensive line was able to move the Carolina defensive line, especially when it came to running the ball and uh, open up the, run, the running lanes, which is exactly what as a Tennessee offensive coordinator, run game coordinator, offensive line coach, running backs coach, which is exactly what you wanted. It's like, okay, this is the SEC. At the end of the day, we want to make sure we can run the ball as my old high school coach, you say you run the ball and you win the game. That is definitely something that I noticed. And I, the announcers noticed as well because as, as some at parts of this game, you could kind of see them do the instant replay. And you would see it almost like the parting of the Red Sea. 
the guard and tackle or the center and the guard just moving and moving the USC defense alignment and making the hole wide open. So I would say Tennessee, especially towards the end of their game, was kind of winning there a little bit in the trenches and just giving a hole for the running back to be able to run through. I am a fan of Jared Garatano. Garatano, I think, yeah, it's kind of a weird pronunciation there. But anyway, I'm a fan of his. He also works with Quincy Avery, which is the quarterback coach that obviously I take a lot of information from. Jared threw for 259 yards, and I just thought he managed the offense really well for the team. The only time I didn't think that he played his best was whenever he was kind of trying to force the ball. You could tell he was throwing it a little bit harder, and it seems like the accuracy was kind of off. But for the most part, between him putting the ball where it needed to be or in the area and the receivers making pretty big plays, it really worked out for that team, for the Tennessee Volunteers. I do want to give a major hats off. They used to call it helmet stickers. I used to watch Lou Holtz do it and Mark May. But anyway, I want to give a major helmet sticker Helmet sticker to Shai Smith, who played well for Carolina, the wide receiver, number 13. He had 10 receptions for 140 yards, but as a team, it just wasn't enough. Xavier Leggett did make a couple plays. Another receiver, I'm pretty sure he's a sophomore. But it just seems like they were really missing a link. And I think that link was Jalen Brooks, who was supposed to, who was the transfer wide receiver from Wingate. He obviously did not qualify. It's not that he didn't qualify. His waiver just didn't get approved to be able to play immediately. So I think he's going to have to sit out the year. They have appealed that waiver, but that might take some time. So I think he's just practicing at this point. But he was supposed to step in, contribute right away, and be a starter. And I think without him, that definitely did affect this South Carolina offense. It seems like I'm sure Colin Hill probably had a lot of pass and catching with him in the offseason, definitely, but really during fall camp. And so they probably had some sort of momentum, some type of that. I think momentum is the word I'm going to use there. They definitely had some type of probably like, okay, like I know where you're going to be at. You know where you're going to be at. There's a word for that. I can't think of it right now. But, and that was, I think, probably the missing link. Also, I feel like Nick Muse, although he's healthy from his torn ACL, I think he still, I don't know if he's gaining confidence back, but it doesn't seem like he was what he, I don't, it doesn't seem like he was what he once was last season. So maybe that's just going to take some time. We'll see what happens this long season, all SEC games. I'll mention that again. And uh, so long season for the Gamecocks ahead. I will say I think Israel and J.C. Horn played well, but the rest of the secondary after them kind of struggled a little bit. We did find out in this game that South Carolina will go with a three-running back attack, in my opinion. They're going to have Kevin Harris, Akarn J. Wright, and Deshaun Fenwick, and, that's going to, and they're going to need that, once again, because it's going to be an all-SEC schedule. The injuries will happen at the running back position. I mean, if you're, you're running the linebacker and defensive lineman, you're going to get hurt at some point. And so they will need all those guys. So it seems like that's what they will be working with. One thing that you always hear about football is about offense, defense, clearly. And special teams. Can't miss that third one. As a matter of fact, Frank Beamer was known for this with Beamer Ball at Virginia Tech. It's like, yo, we're going to dominate that special team. And that's how they were able to win a lot of games back when they dominated. It's like a lot of times special teams is the period where people kind of take the thing off. The coach has to push the players a little bit harder. But now coaches all over will point to this game because it cost Carolina. Basically what happened was, in case you didn't watch the game, if you did, just hear me out. So, Tennessee punched the ball towards the end of the game. I think there was like around a minute and 50 or a minute, 30 seconds left. Colin Hill was going to get to start his USC legacy right here if he was able to march Carolina down the field into the end zone after the punt with no timeout. So it was really going to be his time to shine. All the work offseason work that y'all did was going to measure up to right now. But instead, what ends up happening on the Tennessee punt 
the ball's in the air. I don't know if Jeremy Robinson called Peter, which is usually a kind of getaway call for the rest of the D, for the rest of the punt return team to kind of just move away from the ball or move away, just kind of get a, away from anything because the ball's coming down. And if those guys are out there blocking, they're not going to be able to see it. I don't know if he called it or not, but the ball bounced off of Cam Smith's leg, who was blocking, who was the Carolina punt return. I'm a, this sounds really weird. This would be better on YouTube. But anyway, uh, Cam Smith was blocking for Jeremy. But the ball came, hits him in the leg. Tennessee defender jumps on it. Next thing you know, it's Tennessee's ball, and they pretty much run out the clock. Special teams are super important. Don't ever doubt it. Because if that call is made, and even if the call was made, and if Jamie uh, can get Cam away from the ball, then you end up in a situation where Carolina has a chance to go win. But because that did not happen successfully, Carolina did, in fact, lose his game. But it's not all on Cam. Not, it's not on Cam Smith. Like, that could have happened to anybody else. And it, and it should not have been that close. Because if it's not that close, then that one play can't make that big of a difference. But it happens to the best of them. So definitely something for Cam to learn his early career. Jamie as well. And I'm sure Muschamp will be working on special teams. And it probably will be more than a period this week. So that that's what happens at the end of this game. That's the Carolina loss. From the, the feel I got from a lot of Carolina fans is like, it's always something. It's always going to be something. It, it's not like if we lose. It's how, What is it? It's not if, it's when. It's, well, I guess in this case, like, it's not if, it's how. How are we going to find a way to lose a game? And this just happened to be the case right here. But I would say the reason this is even more sad for Carolina fans is because they had all offseason prepared for this game. And it wasn't like we're dealing with a new quarterback here. It's like you knew the quarterback, you knew the coach, you knew the scheme, and we stand up losing the game. And it's the home opener. But... Yeah, it happens sometimes. You can't win them all. <laughs> I think Cam Newton said a good loser once said that. But <laughs> but they have they will look to build momentum in this next game where they will go on the road. And like I said before, this is a all SEC schedule this year. So tough road ahead for the Gamecocks. The Fire Muschamp crew is already cranking up. And it's been one game. So we will see what happens with that. But anyway, we're going to keep moving forward in the SEC where the number three Florida Gators got a win against Ole Miss. The Ole Miss Fighting Rebels with the final score of 51-35. to 35. Kyle Trash, the quarterback for Florida, went 30 for 42 for 416 yards. And this was in Lane Kiffin's debut at Ole Miss. So Florida gets the win there and now prepare for the Gamecocks next week. Auburn, the number seven Auburn Tigers beat the Kentucky Wildcats with the final score of 29-13. Bo Nix, the quarterback for Auburn, went 16 for 27 for 233 yards and three touchdowns. Gus Malzon, the head coach for Auburn, was wearing the old Pat Dye hat and tie on the sideline. It was kind of like a tribute to him. Pat Dye, in case you didn't know, was a legendary coach at Auburn. Played and coached there, and the field is named after him. Pat Dye Field. Now, it does get kind of weird with these names because a lot of these schools have like six different names for the field. You got Jordan Hare and Pat Dye. You know, Clemson got Memorial Stadium and Death Valley, and there might be another one too. So, it's just how it goes. There's something I'm supposed to tell you all about. Auburn, but I cannot seem to think about it, so we're going to keep moving right ahead. They will play Georgia in the Deep South's oldest rivalry on ESPN, 7 o'clock Eastern. Me and ESPN really need to work, and this will be this Saturday. Me and ESPN really need to work out this deal, because I constantly promoting their stuff, and they're not paying the kid for it. 
But we're going to keep moving and talk about the number four Georgia Bulldogs, who won with the final score of 37-10 to 10 against the Arkansas Razorbacks. Arkansas did, in fact, let go of Chad Morris. That's what I meant to tell y'all. They let go of Chad Morris at the last season, and Chad Morris is, is with Auburn now. So Auburn, he basically learned his offense from Gus Malzahn. I think that was back when he was still a high school coach. If not, he was like at Toledo or something. But anyway, so he is with Auburn now. But anyway, Felipe Franks, the old Florida quarterback, is the coach at Arkansas. No, oh my gosh, he's the quarterback at Arkansas. And another thing that's kind of cool about this game was Dalvin Cook, who is the running back for the Minnesota Vikings' younger brother, actually plays for Georgia. His name is James Cook, so there you have it. But anyway, in this Georgia game, which in fact Georgia did win with the final score of 37-10, once again, the starter, Dwayne Mathis, a few, a few years ago, he had an emergency surgery to remove a cyst that was on his brain. Thank God he recovered, but he was the starter in this game. But after a sluggish start, going going eight for 17, passing for 55 yards, Kirby Smart decided to pull him. He put in a form of walk-on to play Stetson Bennett. He had Stetson completed 20 for 29 passes for 211 yards and two touchdowns with no interceptions to get things rolling for the Bulldogs. The only reason these guys were even in the game, though, was because Georgia quarterback JT Daniels, who had transferred in from the University of Southern Cal, has still had not been cleared to play because of anthros, anthroscopic procedure in December. Because of an anthroscopic procedure in December or January. We're still trying to figure out the dates of it all. But anyway, it was to clean up his knee. He has been cleared for the game this weekend, though, against Auburn. But he will have to kind of adjust on the fly with his teammates. Now, clearly, he has been practicing with them. But it'll be a little bit different going against one of the toughest SEC West opponents. So it's going to be a crazy game, I'm sure. Big rivalry game. Everybody's looking forward to it. It's usually one where the stands are packed. Yeah, the stands are packed with fans. But obviously, due to COVID-19, there won't be that going on. I did think, though, that this whole situation with Georgia is even more like kind of weird because Georgia was prepared for this. They had the best quarterback room between JT Daniels from Southern Cal and Jamie Newman from Wake Forest. And it just so happened that Jamie Newman decided he wanted to take his talents to the NFL, which we don't shame him for doing so because he could get, at any time get hurt. And then it would all have been for nothing. But anyway, so he decided to go to the league, which therefore they thought, okay, JT's going to be good. But JT wasn't clear yet, so they had to go through the other two options. Doesn't matter. They got the win. Really looking forward to this matchup with Auburn and Georgia in the Deep South's oldest rivalry. So, super, very excited for that game. But we're going to stay in the SEC and move to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Shout out, Lil Boosie, where LSU was not able to continue the win streak. They lost with the final score of 44-34 to the Mississippi State Rebels. No, the Mississippi State Bulldogs in the Mike Leach debut. KJ Costello, the Stanford transfer, I want y'all to get used to this name. This dude went 36 for 60 with 623 yards and five touchdowns. 623 yards is a Big 12 stat. Definitely not an SEC stat. Definitely not an SEC West stat. But he was able to do it in his SEC debut. It's, that's funny because I'm pretty sure <laughs> Major Flex, he texts his old teammates from Stanford. It's like, y'all, I'm really like this. Like, they say you can't do this in the SEC and look at me. Like, come on now, quit playing with me. But anyway... This guy had three receivers who had 100 yards receiving. So the Mike Leach air raid is in full effect in Mississippi. The LSU quarterback, on the other hand, Miles Brennan, has some work to do. Seems like he had a little bit of jitters, which could only be expected, being that he's following Joe Burrow, who is the best quarterback to ever leave LSU. Probably one of the best quarterbacks, debatably, to play college football, at least for one season. 
not like for a legacy, but at least for one year. But anyway, Miles Brennan went 27 for 46, 345 yards, and three touchdowns. He doesn't quite move as well as Joe does, but we got to give him some time to grow. I think J. Cole said that. You got to give him some time to grow sometimes these days. But anyway, because this, because Joe didn't necessarily show up on campus like the Joe that we've seen in the national championship in that legendary season. It took him some time. The year before, LSU was okay, and it just, it, you just got to give him some time. I think fans are kind of quick to jump on things sometimes. Not to mention, you don't lose your starting quarterback and running back, who both of which, then I'm talking about LSU's roster from last year, both of which who are playing and starting in the NFL. Two great wideouts from that LSU team last year. The tight end, some members of the secondary, including Grant Delpit, linebacker, Patrick Quinn, among others. You don't lose all those guys and completely reload and go right away. Very few teams do that. Really, I say very few teams. I really mean just kind of Alabama, kind of Clemson to an extent. But you kind of have to give them some time to kind of get things back going and reload. Uh, Stingley, on the other hand, did not play. It was That was really weird what happened with him. He was in the hospital with the illness, and so I think everybody was like, oh, no, he got COVID. But it wasn't that. It was something else. But he didn't play. He was put in the hospital Friday. He's been released now, but the timing of it all was just really odd. So, unfortunate for the LSU Tigers. Coach O has said that the, this loss, though, kind of woke the team up, kind of reminded them, like, hey, you can't win this year's games with last year's team. Like, this is a new team. So that that's what's going on out there in LSU. One thing that kind of took me by surprise was that Coach O had just said that this is going to be a much, much better defense than last year's team. And look at what happened. It didn't necessarily show that, uh, especially especially getting the ball thrown on you like 623 yards. So that was not the expectation. But I'm sure Bo Pelini, who was a long-term head coach in Nebraska, he's now a defense coordinator at LSU. He's going to get all this stuff fixed up. He's going to grill those guys at LSU. Uh, and they'll be good to go moving forward. Now, I'm not going to say they're going to give up nothing, but I think that they will, they, we will probably see a tremendous improvement, and I wonder how much of an impact Stingley makes. That That's definitely something there, because he is probably last year one of the top cornerbacks in the in college football, definitely less in the SEC. We're going to go to the Big 12 really quickly, where Oklahoma lost with the final score of 35-38 to Kansas State. That probably cost the Big 12 a shot at the playoffs. So while Kansas State is happy, that's probably going to be some money that's coming out of their pockets. You know, as you make it to the college football playoff, your your conference and your school gets more money. But I thought it was crazy that Oklahoma was actually up 35-14 to in the third quarter with two minutes and 40 seconds left and let Kansas State rally, but that's what they did. And I'm sure Bill Snyder is somewhere clapping and laughing and et cetera, et cetera, because his Kansas State team, although he's no longer the coach, did in fact get the win. So excited for the Wildcats out there. Now the Pac-12, remember we talked about in a couple episodes back how the Pac-12 players, parents are just kind of like chilling. We're not having the season is what it is. Well, I don't do really anything up to them necessarily. I just think the Pac-12 got together. We're like, well, the Big Ten has come back to play weekend as well. So the Pac-12 will be playing a seven-game season beginning November 6th. And I am really excited to see really one player, one team specifically in the Pac-12, which is Oregon. They have Anthony Brown, the quarterback from Boston College, that transferred out there at Oregon. And Brian McClendon is also at Oregon now, who was the USC offense coordinator last year. So super excited to see them play out there in the Pac-12 and the West Coast. We're not really excited to see UCLA or USC because there ain't nothing going on out there, let's be honest. There hasn't been anything like going on out there for a while now, as far as winning. Now, in ACC, Clemson does play Virginia on Saturday night, 8 o'clock p.m. on ACC Network. Definitely something to look forward to. And in, we're going to go completely outside of the Power Five, where I want to give you all a player to like look at 
big things are coming from, I think, in the future. Malik Willis, 6'1", 215 pounds. He's a quarterback at Liberty. He has been making he has been making major waves out there at Liberty University. University of Liberty. It's Liberty University, I'm pretty sure. Out there with Hugh Freeze, where Hugh Freeze is the head coach. He actually transferred from Auburn, had to sit out a year. He trains with Quincy Avery and the quarterback takeover crew, and he's been setting it off at Liberty, like I just said. In the past, in his past game, he went 24 for 30 for 285 yards. Y'all do the math. That's about 80% completion rate, two touchdowns, and then rushed at 13 rushes for 18, 85 yards. So definitely think he's going to merge up on some team's draft board if he continues to excel this season. We're going to bump over to the NFL where recorded this right after the Ravens-Chiefs matchup. So this is kind of like right in my immediate reaction to it. Obviously, the Chiefs did take the win with the final score 34 to 20. The Chiefs played their game the whole game. Chris Jones was everywhere making plays, rushes, sacks. He had two sacks. And it really showed that that contract they gave him was well worth it. One thing that another thing I noticed was that when the Ravens were playing their game, the read option run first, getting Lamar Jackson out the pocket kind of on some rushes. It seemed like they were they were in rhythm. They were able to pass and catch, do kind of what they wanted to do, and everything was opening up. As soon as they started playing Kansas City game, the passing attack, the timing, all that went off. Lamar it couldn't really get on the same page as his tight ends. He really couldn't hit Mark. He struggled kind of the whole night hitting Marquise Brown down the sidelines, even when Marquise had beaten his guy. And towards the end of the third quarter, they were able to kind of get everything back in line, kind of get back to the basics, as Drake would say. But the Ravens' defense just couldn't get a stop when they needed it, and so that was unfortunate for the Ravens' team. I did think Patrick Mahomes balled out once again. He put the ball exactly where it needed to be most of the time for his receivers to make plays, and even if they didn't make the catch, it wasn't because the ball wasn't there. He went 31 for 42 for 385 yards and four touchdowns. And normally for quarterbacks, it's like, oh, my God, that's so great. For Patrick, that's just another dead office. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire continues to show why he will be a dominant running back in this league. He has 64 yards on the ground, but his fit in this offense is perfect. Exactly what they needed to even make them more dangerous than they already were. He is low enough to the ground to make sure, to be extremely hard to tackle. He's just a lot of power. A lot of times you saw almost the whole Ravens defense jumping on him, and he's still running, still picking his knees up. And he's super elusive. And so for all that, this offense is a headache for defensive coordinators. Would hate to be the one who had to try to stop it. Lamar Jackson did not have his best day in the air throwing, having, going 15. I just used like three things. Uh, he threw 15 for 28 for 97 yards. Meanwhile, on the ground, he had nine carries for 83 yards. So if you ever throw the ball for as much as you run it, unless it's like a 200 yards rushing day, this is not going to be a good day for you, which usually doesn't end up in a win. Something I did think was interesting, though, was that Tyreek Hill had said earlier, I think it was like Saturday or Sunday, that he think Lamar might be a little bit faster than him at this point. So that South Florida speed is real if Tyreek Hill is admitting that. But I think also in part this comes because with Tyreek Hill playing the skill position, uh, the quarterback skill position too, but with Tyreek Hill playing like receiver, he lifts a little bit more weights and things like that. It's a little bit more bulk to him, especially in his game as compared to Lamar and the quarterbacks. Uh, they have a different style of weightlifting and things like that. He's bands. Depending on, I mean, Cam Newton thing, you're throwing that bench press up. But a lot of other quarterbacks you're seeing are moving more to like bands and different things like that. See the TB12 method. Uh, now, with this, after this game, I think everything's been kind of decided. The Kansas City is the best team in football. And if not, you're going to the Seattle Seahawks. You should, we should, we've still seen the Ravens have some things to work on. And that's okay because it is early in the year. We're going to go ahead and move to the AF. We're going to stay in the AFC. 
where my Houston Texans did in fact lose again on Sunday. We're now 0-3 for a quick fun fact. All three of the Watt brothers were playing in that Houston Steeler, the Houston-Pittsburgh matchup. And J.J. Watt obviously playing for Houston while the other two brothers were playing for the Steelers. Now back to my Texans. We were up 21-17 at the half, and I was excited, but we just couldn't keep the momentum going. Sean Watson is not used to losing. He didn't lose in high school, didn't lose in college. And so I know this is kind of really kind of messing with him, but I'm hoping he'll rally up the truth because we have Minnesota coming to town next Sunday, and we really need a win. Now, as far as our roster makeup, we were looking at getting Antonio Brown, which I'm not exactly the biggest fan from off the field, but on the field, he makes plays happen. As long as he's not quitting on us or not showing up to the game or leaving the game early, just don't need none of that nonsense. But look, we need a replacement for DeAndre Hopkins, so if he can do that, go ahead and bring him in. We're also looking at Earl Thomas. Seems like we're going to bring him in a workout. We just had, he just had to pass his COVID testing thing, so we bring him in. That's a win-win for us. He gets to play in Texas. He's not in Dallas, but Houston's a nice city, as we all know and we get one of the best safeties in the game. I just need him to play like the Earl Thomas from the Seahawks, not the Ravens. The Ravens want to stay in, stay in Baltimore. Can't be fighting your teammates. And, and Well, obviously, training camp is over, but you can't be fighting your teammates in practice. We do not need that in Houston. But we're going to stay in Texas where we're talking about the Dallas Cowboys, who did come up short in their game against the Seahawks. Dak Prescott did not disappoint them for 472 yards, but it just wasn't enough against Russell Wilson who edged him out with five touchdown passes. DK Metcalf had four receptions for 110 yards. Tyler Lockett had a whopping nine receptions for 100 yards and three touchdowns. A big day for him. He gets the helmet sticker. Chris Carson, the running back for the Seahawks, will be okay. He was injured in the game. Jamal Adams was injured as well. And I feel like because of Jamal Adams' passion, I wouldn't be surprised if he tried to line up and play against the Dolphins, but I think they can sit him. I think they can handle the Dolphins, both without him. And get them rested up because they'll need them later on this season. It's only like week two. Now, last couple NFL notes. I told you there's a lot going on, but just stay with me. Joe Burrow definitely got his welcome to the NFL moment against the Eagles, but he kept on playing. And they end up in the, in the Cincinnati Bengals ended up in a tie with the Philadelphia Eagles, Deshaun Jackson. Yeah, let me pause real quick. I don't know if a lot of y'all used to watch, but the NFL Network used to have this show, and it's probably still on YouTube called Welcome to the NFL. Or, hey, rookie, welcome to NFL was the name of it. Well, Joe Burrow just got that experience. I'm sure he watched the show, but now he got the hit to prove it. But Deshaun Jackson Jackson also caught a hamstring injury in this game. He's getting a little bit older, getting more hamstrings just about every year now. Was definitely my favorite player at Cal when he was at the University of Cal, Berkeley. But uh, hopefully, I don't know how many more years he has in play. Still a speed demon, but it just seems like these hamstrings are becoming very common for him. Now, for those uh, Minnesota Vikings, Justin Jefferson, the former LSU, the LSU, I was going to say the Gooks Tiger, but anyway, the former LSU Tiger had a heck of a day. Justin Jefferson had seven receptions for 175 yards and a touchdown, and in LSU fashion, was dancing into the end zone. Mitch Trubisky, however, in Chicago, was benched. Nick Foles came in, saved the day for the Bears, and they beat the Falcons with the final score of 30-26. to the Bears put up 20 points in the fourth quarter, which is the same amount, being that there's only 15 minutes in the fourth quarter. But that is what took place, and Atlanta gets another loss. That They let a team come from behind and beat them, so I'm sure these Falcons fans are very upset. Unfortunately, in this game, Tariq Cohen, the running back out of North Carolina A&T, who was called the human joystick coming out of college, has torn his ACL and will be gone 
for the rest of the year. So definitely disappointing news for him. I think he'll go ahead and hit the IR, and they will keep moving from there. I think Nick Foles will be a starter for the rest of the season, and this Mitch continues to show it. It's not his fault necessarily, but the Bears organization. You gave, you didn't get Deshaun. I don't even think you gave Deshaun a phone call. You didn't get uh, uh, Patrick Mahomes, but instead you got Mitch. Look at you. Now you're benching him. Oh, well, we'll keep it moving. The Packers, it seems like on these sports podcasts, if you don't mention these doggone Packers and these Cowboys, people get upset and they stop listening. So we got to keep the people happy. The Packers did, in fact, beat the Saints with the final score of 37 to 30. And Rodgers is doing what he does. Alan Lazard, the undrafted big wideout out of Iowa State, who plays for the Packers, has six receptions. 146 yards and a touchdown. You always love to see the guys that go undrafted to be able to make big plays in the big games and show their worth. And I'm sure that there's a lot of prove it. Like, yo, I'm going to prove it to y'all that I, I belong in this league. Now, we're going to talk about these Buffalo Bills here once again, very quickly. Who got the win against the Los Angeles Rams? The Bills are now 3 and 0. Josh Allen went 24 for 33 for 311 yards and four touchdowns. And Cole Beasley has six receptions for 100 yards. The Bills are a perfect example. I guess just like the, really you could say just like the Kansas City Chiefs. What happens when you get a quarterback and you build around them? You don't get these quarterbacks and it's like figure it out. which is what the Jets did with Sam Darnold. And Sam Darnold, I'm sure it seems like he's kind of losing his confidence. But instead, the Bills went out. They had Mike Singletary. Then they go out and get Stephon Diggs. And then got Beasley. And so it's a good roster. So Josh Allen... Uh, has been able to grow with these guys, and he's a good face in that organization. They're going to continue to dominate, in my opinion. It's crazy because last year they lost that playoff game against Houston. But right now, they look like a much better organization than Houston. As a matter of fact, they're 3-0, and and Houston is 0-3. So <laughs> we need to take a page out of the Bills playbook there. Like I said, I'm not the biggest fan of Antonio Brown, but he's, he'll be our replacement for DeAndre Hopkins. Must thing for us to worry about. And obviously, if we get Earl Thomas, I'll be happy. So... That is all I have for you on this week's episode of Matt Sports House. Thanks for listening. No, I did say I'd mention the social me- the socials. Uh, follow me on Instagram at Matt Sports House, just like it sounds. Now on Twitter, it's a little mix-up. It's Matt Sports House. Uh, I had to mess that up a little bit because of, for some reason, somebody else has that uh, had the Matt Sports House on Twitter, which is super weird because... Why would you have all of like that specific name? But it is what it is. A lot of Matthews. I remember. I remember at one point I asked one of the goddess counselors at USC. She's like, you know, there are not a Matthew Andersons. There are nine at this school. So maybe one of those guys got a podcast going. Don't listen to him. Continue to listen to this one. Continue to support. I appreciate it. Also, if you know any local businesses that are looking to get an ad out to these millions of listeners who listen to this podcast. Just hit me up. Tell them to hit me up, and we'll be able to work some things out there. And uh, I once again, I appreciate you all for listening. Make sure you like, comment, subscribe. Now, since we got the socials, follow. If there are any topics you want to hear, make sure you let me know. We're going to keep this thing going. And thanks for listening again. Peace.